Hi everybody, welcome to the NMC Watch podcast. Thanks for listening. All of our guests have had a variety of experiences when they've been referred to their regulator, such as the Nursing and Midwifery Council. They've gone through a fitness to practice investigation and often a local employment investigation as well. Some of those experiences have been very positive, but some not so positive. And we hope to give them a safe space in which to discuss those further. Some of our guests will express opinions that we don't agree with. That's fine. They're welcome to share those opinions and hopefully it will create some debate. But although we may not share their opinions, we offer them a safe space in which to discuss how it felt to be referred, how they got through it and how life is now they've got through the other side. Hi, everybody. So we're joined today by Ian Hines. Ian has a background of over 40 years international investigative experience. Ian is a world leading expert and an award winning practitioner of investigation, particularly the science of investigative interviewing. He was the strategic strategic investigation interview manager for a major UK police force for 12 years until August 2014, during which time he authored investigation policy, developed practice and had the responsibility for competencies and standards, reviewing those investigations globally. His investigation strategies and tactics have withstood challenge and scrutiny from the highest courts in the UK and beyond. A number of those strategies concern serious criminality and misconduct in healthcare settings. It was during this time that his interest in fitness to practice investigation was found, observing firsthand serious miscarriages of justice, both criminally and civilly, alongside plummeting investigation standards. Driven by those experiences, in 2014, Ian founded Intersol Global, which is a company with a clear philosophy and values that recognises just how poor investigation practice can destroy lives, livelihoods and careers. With his team, he set about applying investigation standards and competencies that were relevant and proportionate, very important, to the civil sector, including fitness to practice investigation. Intersol Global has now a team of over 40 of the most qualified and experienced civil investigators in the UK. They train, qualify, advise and conduct workplace discipline investigation across several sectors, including healthcare. Recognising that fitness to practice panels make decisions based entirely on meaningful, reliable detail and accuracy, They developed and deliver the only externally regulated qualification in the world to conduct workplace investigation meetings. This is known as investigative interviewing. So, wow, welcome Ian. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure, Catherine. Nice to see you again after a year or two. It's been a little while, hasn't it? Yeah. So, um... We've had the introduction there, but perhaps you could just tell the listeners a little bit more about why you're here today and your, the things you've observed so far with the fitness to practice. Yes, yeah, certainly, uh, as best I can. I mean, as that indicates, I've travelled quite a yeah. journey, Catherine, in the world of investigation from the sort of late 70s through to the current date and still sort of maintain very much my hands on the tools of investigation. 
and have a passion for this concept of investigative interviewing, which in my new world and your world uh, is essentially how we manage and conduct investigation meetings in the civil world. Um, those meetings to make them productive, reliable, and as accurate uh, as they possibly can be. Uh, and I suppose to cut straight to the point, my passion for this topic in this area of business in terms of fitness to practice and healthcare is that everything you read about it, whether it's on the NMC site itself, the, the Professional Standards Authority, in any regulatory area, um, you see constant reference to the word investigation and investigation meetings, yeah. and yet very little reference to the competency that underpins that, um, that, that process. And I see very little evidence that really convinces me that they have a, a true grasp of the case management process from a, a, an issue, and in this case, a fitness to practice issue, right the way through to the panel hearing and outcome. There's a lot of reference to the actual procedure at the panel meetings, that type of thing, and a lot of reference to lawyers and HR, but very little understanding, perhaps understandably, of what an investigation is uh, and that investigation process. And I suppose to pick up on the issue that, 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 that you asked me to address, in that lengthy career investigation there were probably two or three three or four key key issues on that journey Catherine that opened my eyes mm. to the need the requirement for more uh, or enhanced better competency in the world of investigation I'll go right back if I may Catherine to a bit of a I suppose a personal uh, declaration that I have a very dear friend who was and still is a, a, a registered general nurse some 40, 50 years service uh, in the NHS. And uh, I first realized maybe 20, two, over two decades ago that some of the responsibility that was placed on them to investigate fitness to practice issues or misconduct within the healthcare setting was actually quite unfair, quite disproportionate that this person's core responsibility was nursing. That was their vocation. And indeed, by that time, had got to such a position that they were managing of 20, 30 other nurses in a clinical setting. And the toll that it took on this individual personally when asked to conduct the investigation for which they had no training was quite immense. Um, mm. One of the maxims that we're probably aware of because we've had we've corresponded outside this, this conversation is that I've, I, absolutely one of our core philosophies is that um, poor investigation costs lives careers, livelihoods, and futures. Uh, and I mean that unreservedly. It can cost lives if you get it wrong, and yet it's sort of almost glibly talked about uh, as, as a bit of a throwaway comment, we'll do an investigation. Um, moving on through my police career, I actually probably broke some new ground, Catherine, when I was uh, commissioned to investigate some misconduct that amounted to criminality in healthcare settings in hospitals. And the scale sort of lifted from my eyes when I had to engage with with senior management, middle management, and I looked at some of the what's the word I would look for uh, some of the philosophies that they uh, engaged in in terms of pushing the problem downhill and blaming staff at the coalface. I found completely uh, 
unacceptable and very uncomfortable, to be honest. Moving on, uh, my criminal investigation world exposed me to uh, a lot of malpractice. I have to say here quite at the outset, I'm very neutral in all this. I'm about open-minded non-judgmentality. Mm. And I saw, I saw evidence of a lot of poor practice in the world of, say, serious sexual offence investigation, where healthcare professionals, frankly, uh, neglected duty, du the duty that they had. And I've probably come a little bit more up to date. Uh, there, were, there were investigations which have hit the national, international press, the, the murders at Stepping Hill Hospital, where a, a nurse, Rebecca Layton, well publicised, it's open source, you can read all about it. But Rebecca uh, was a subject of a very, very serious miscarriage of justice, spent months on remand for an offence that she didn't commit. Um, I have a significant knowledge of that investigation uh, and some of the issues that went wrong with it. And that ruined a, that ruined a young, promising nurse's career, life, mm. all because of poor investigation. I can't comment on the fitness to practice side of it. I was not part of that. Um, uh, uh, moving on, uh, to bring it right up to date, personal experience in recent years of the health service when I've actually observed poor practice, been personally involved in fitness to practice issues and been absolutely staggered at the lack of competence. But I, I'm not seeking to blame anybody for that. It just seems to be this, it's, it's a general thing through my business generally a seeming lack of awareness of the professional skill of an open-minded investigator. And that's what took me to this point, really, in, in terms of my interest in healthcare investigators. I think you and I first met uh, when I, I voiced some I've, I should say, actually, sorry, Catherine, I've also reviewed in a professional capacity a number of FTP investigations, both actually from uh, NMC, but also from the... Um, Oh, forgive me, what's the acronym for doctors? You have to help me out, Catherine. Gen the, GMC, GMC, General Medical Council. GMC, yeah, yeah. GMC. Yep. Yeah, so I've, and I've reviewed and been yes. quite taken aback at some of the, the, the lack of quality in those investigations, the sort of biased, mm. one-sided nature on occasion and the lack of acknowledgement of that basic human right, equality of arms embraced within human rights legislation that's what brought me to this really and i suppose to be a bit controversial it so there's a delay on this there's a delay on the line here Catherine. i want to over taught you to, to, to be a little bit more controversial in recent years um putting my commercial head on somewhat naively for a, someone who spent 40 years in policing I thought there would be an appetite within healthcare from the official side and the staff side for to embrace investigation standards. And I was frankly quite shocked and appalled that that was not the case. There's actually, I would have to say, some proactive resistance to improvement of those standards. We can only speculate and hypothesise what that, why that might be, of course. Thank you, thank you. Um, the, the biggest problem that our, the, our members of our group have is that a lot of the investigation has mm -hmm. happened at their local employment level before they've reached the fitness to practice. And obviously then the fitness mm -hmm. to practice case is based on that investigation. What 
what can the register what can the nurses and midwives do about that because obviously that's already it's done it's dusted almost what can they do to try and balance things out better oh wow um i'm not <laughs> so sure what they can do if i, uh, I there's an awful lot that can be done how you empower them to do it catherine i'm i'm not so sure uh you know uh, let's make some things absolutely clear. I am not from that profession, so I can speak technically about the investigation. From an empathetic point of view, Catherine, if I was to put myself in the registrant's shoes, I would be courteously and politely, uh, because my career might be at stake in, in, in my own health, etc., I'd be politely inquiring what qualifications that person had to conduct the investigation that was going to feed into the case management process potentially through to a panel hearing and i would be asking those questions with the greatest of courtesy please tell me you know what qualifies you to conduct this investigation what training have you got to ask me questions um, what is your knowledge of trauma informed investigation have you any knowledge of the impact of your questioning style? I'm being a little bit pedantic here, I know, but this is the sort of mindset I would be in if I was the registrant, because my whole career would be at stake. I say this knowing that they have none. So I'm completing a bit of a circle here, Catherine, that I'm well aware they have none, little if yes. any training. There is a, a huge assumption, huge assumption in the workplace that HR and lawyers are investigators. I passionately, would emphasize that they are not investigators. It is the investigation that feeds into the decision-making. Can I just pick you up on that? Because obviously with the fitness to practice process, it is fundamentally um, the legal teams that are driving that investigation. So why do you feel that's perhaps not the best way of, of moving forward? Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no. That's fine, put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> the, the responsibility, there's a new concept in the world, it's called the investigative lawyer or investigation lawyer. And I would ask you, Catherine, to perhaps just look back at the roots of what a lawyer is. And a the lawyer there quite properly is there to advocate, to represent, to properly represent the best interests of the client, the person who's paying, paying the wages, as it were. Um, uh, and, and just as I absolutely respect the skills and competences of a lawyer, I would, from a slightly controversial point of view, perhaps suggest that that's not reciprocated in many cases. There are many lawyers who do. We work with many. Um, but, but the lawyer is part of a process and, you know, in reality should be making the decisions based on what they are fed by the investigator. So you have to look back at the root cause of the quality or otherwise and the reliability of that information. I'd actually perhaps suggest from my small knowledge, and I, I, you know, I bow to your better knowledge, that it's not just lawyers. The lawyers might be the driving force behind, but the people who are sort of actually at the coalface in the investigation process at the grassroots level tend to be HR, and increasing, it's not just in health, this, by the way, Catherine, we're in seven other sectors. And the allocation of an investigator is almost exclusively based in the civil world on rank, position, management, responsibility, 
not competency to conduct the investigation. Does that make sense, Kathleen? That makes perfect sense. Um, I th think you've hit the nail on the head with what the common thread of the problem is there. I mean, there's there's a wider piece of work go going on that's been going on for a number of years now insofar as the reformation of healthcare regulators mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. looking at how all the regulators mm -hmm. deal with their investigation process and fitness to practice. Um, we're seeing that actually whilst the people that we support are under the NMC, a lot of the themes are common across GMC, etc., and the other regulators. So if, if they were to start from scratch, say, again, with how they were tackling these, these cases, what, what would they need to have in place from the beginning, do you think? Wow. Wow. Um... I've done a little bit of research there, and, and I, to, be, to be frank, Catherine, I was quite baffled, and, and I actually was defeated when I tried to try and establish what the investigation case management process was within the NMC particularly. And I think there are about eight or nine, seven or eight, seven to nine different regulatory bodies within healthcare. I suppose that goes from the den dentists, physiotherapists, all the way through. But mm. I struggled to see what the case management process was, and I was actually staggered when they, I can't remember some of the phrases they use, case managers or something, or investigation managers, they're relying on written reports, questionnaires, mm. utterly um, fallible methods of conducting an investigation uh, with, with little of an audit trail as to what's fed into those questionnaires. So looking at, mm. it's hard for me to answer because it's hard to grasp their case management process. The NMC particularly, I think, only refers to case management when it's actually gone to, to referred to a panel and they're managing the case. The reality, Captain, is that investigation case management starts right at for, much further down the, 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 the timeline. So one of the most constructive things, I, I get the impression it's quite adversarial, uh, the regulatory systems. It has its foundations very much from a legal perspective, which is adversarial by its very nature and understandably so, I see or sense a great imbalance, which goes back to this issue of uh, human rights and sort of equality of arms. Mm. Uh, I repeatedly see a case, cases where there is a lack of representation, which seems unbalanced if someone's livelihood and indeed life might be at stake through to mental illness, whatever it might be. Um, some of the tragic stories that you hear. What else? I have to say, um, the, some of the language that's used is very legal, jargonistic, mm. allegations, mm. Uh, accused parties. To draw a comparison, Catherine, we're heavily engaged in the world of education, higher education particularly, and the semantics there are critical, critical. And you will talk about reporting parties and reported parties. Um, because uh, if I can get a bit technical in this in this uh, podcast, that narrative at the outset, if you're not very careful from an investigative mindset, is reinforced by the semantics that you use thereafter. Mm -hmm. So as soon on day one as you've got someone who is accused of or against whom there is an allegation, you're setting a, a biased mindset in the 
mind of an untrained investigator to merely reinforce the narrative at every stage of the process. So I know I'm stripping back the investigation process here, but one of the, if I was lecturing about investigation, and I still do occasionally, one of the, the main nemesis of an investigator is bias, that confirmation bias. And if the questioning style mm, mm, at the outset starts to reinforce that bias, then the whole investigation gets corrupted from day one and the underpinnings are built on sand, not firm foundation. So that when your panel's here in the case down here... C certainly um, the, the biggest theme that we've had since, since I've been through fitness to practice and now sort of five years on with the other people that we support is that feeling of being guilty until proven innocent rather than the other way around. And... Um, like you say, the, mm -hmm. the it's charges, it's allegations, it's um, it's all very ad adversarial rather than what's happened. Let's find out what happened. What are we going to do about it? Well, a that's a recurring problem I have in every sector that I work. We do little work now in the field, in criminal areas. Uh, that's by choice. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we we focus very much on the civil world. Uh, some or, some areas of our business, Catherine use phrases like serious misconduct that might amount to criminality and for example one of the cases i researched on the nmc website prior to this interview by yourself the very very first one from last month actually in october was a case of sexual mm -hmm. assault uh, and it was a sexual assault but it was being dealt with within that that process now uh they can be quite complex investigations uh Going back to, to your point, to take your point, the question I ask of the NMC would be that if you don't understand how investigations work and the potential pitfalls of them, Catherine, how can you investigate or sit in judgment with confidence? I was staggered to, re to understand that the investigation element within the NMC, and please correct if I've got this wrong, they talk about a nurse or midwife and a lay person being the investigators, the case investigators. I think I've understood that correctly. And I, 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 from the, all the inquiries I've made, there is no training of those people for investigation. So I'm not so sure, I'm not convinced that they will be aware of the flaws potentially in the product that they are being delivered by from the um, call face, as it were, actually. It's a cut to the chase, Catherine. I was involved in an incident myself last year, and I saw it for the time. I think that's historic, because I think criticism in years gone by has been that it was, you know, cases were determined initially on a clinical content and by clinicians, and um, it was sort of seen as closing ranks almost. So that's that's where the lay people were then brought in to sort of try and bring some level of neutrality. But it's it's quite right. It's have have you ever sort of spoken to any of the regulators about how they do train these examiners? I've, I've tried to very hard. No, they they won't engage. To be honest with you. Now I, I would say the lay examiners. That's the question I would ask. Actually, I think you've just you've 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 uh, beat me to it there. I don't know what training the lay examiners get. I don't know. Okay. 
So what questions could we be asking of the NMC or, in fact, the other regulators, um, you know, about how, how we, can, we can help, you know, improve things? Or is it more that we should be educating the people going through it to, you know, ask specific questions? I, I think it is an educative process. Uh, and please, it's not unique to the, the world of healthcare. As I said to you, we're, we're in seven other sectors and it's a recurring issue. It has its roots in the fact that a, a misunderstanding of what an investigation is. And that is a recurring challenge for us professionally. That an investigation is not about, and it goes back to the point you made, there's an allegation someone is accused of something, so then we have to set about nailing his or her head on. It's not about a head on a stick. It's about open-mindedness, non-judgmentality, and not seeking to confirm a narrative. Let's explore hypotheses scientifically. Uh, let's, let's look at evidence that underpins or undermines. In the world of criminal investigation, the phrases used, Captain, are inculpates and exculpates. And I'm not so sure how much that's followed in the, Well, I know in the civil world it's not. You know, and there tends to be a natural thought of, well, let's just only follow the evidence. Let's follow the line of inquiry that implicates someone at the expense of those lines of inquiry that doesn't or exculpates them, to use the words from the criminal world. They equally apply in the civil world. It's not about just looking for evidence that proves the case. And it's quite funny. You look at some of the cases, as I have done, and a lot of them are actually found not proved, and a lot of elements are not proved, which I find quite... It's done on balance of probabilities in the NMC, isn't it? Mm. It is, it's quite yes. a low. It's a low, it's a low, it's a low threshold, Catherine. And I think, mm. actually, I looked at one case, and I think... So seven or eight, seven or eight of the issues were found unproven. Now, are the investigators making recommendations? I don't know the process well enough. Are they going to a panel too early? Could it, I think a lot of it could probably be resolved much quicker. Some of the cases were four years old, Catherine. Yes, well, there's. I don't know if you saw. Um... Some of the cases were four years old. That I was looking yeah. at. I mean, the the longevity of all these cases has been under the spotlight for quite a few years now. With and it was raised again at the NMC council meeting this week about their mm. determination to clear the backlog. But we've heard about the backlog since. Well, I mean, there's articles out there since as far as 2016. So um, it's not COVID that's caused it. So, certainly may not have helped. It's not. Um, Personally, I think it's the nature you know, of how I, I, they're being investigated rather than um, anything else impacting them. I wonder here, whether you asked me about what could be done to improve. I only throw this in because it's from my experience in other sectors. Um, anecdotally, I've not done any empirical work around this, but anecdotally, so many of these cases could be nipped in the bud much earlier in the process by robust management, by skilled management, by, uh, your, and I defer here to you, you as a professional, but if you take my old profession or indeed my current position in my own company, we'd nip things in the mm -hmm. bud. Hang on, let's look at how we can improve this, you know, perhaps because there's a better way of doing something. A lot of these issues are going to, not tribunal, but they're going to panels, um, it seems, when they could have been nipped in the bud so much earlier. Mm -hmm. 
but that that is you know is that a managerial weakness? Is that I I don't know. I don't know the I don't know the, the context well enough professionally from from your perspective. So we've heard a lot about mediation. We've heard Medi a lot mediation about mediation. Um, we we use mediation a lot more. Exactly. We've heard a lot about um, you know just culture and all of the organisations you know say that they're trying extremely hard to work within a just culture um, process, if you like. But yet we're still getting this accusatorial mm -hmm. um, side of things. So to me, that that doesn't that doesn't balance really. I don't know what you've got to say about that. Do you think just culture is really? Well, I think I just reiterate what I said yeah. before. It does seem very. Well, I, I I don't have any particular knowledge of just culture. If that's an organisation, I know the concept. Mm. I've encountered the concept in a wide variety of areas, uh, and I think it, there are top-down cultural issues without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, I think probably no more so than in the NHS. Uh, you know, I've, I've personal experience of. I sort of alluded to it at the outset here about blame, mm. uh, left shouldering blame down the rank structure, as it were, for want of a better description. Um, culture's no doubt a, a big issue. I don't know the culture of the NHS or the, that professional area well enough, if I'm honest, Catherine. It would be perhaps unfair to me to comment. So what, I, what I was quite astonished by was that. Last month, there were 145 cases went to the panels at NMC. Mm. I think the month before, 110, 115. If you extrapolate those numbers, in, a, in, in an era of, of, of healthcare crisis, of massive understaffing, I, I just found, I, as a layperson, found those numbers quite incredible. 145 fitness to practice hearings in the month of October. Um, some of which have been going on four or five years with people, I guess, suspended, their registration suspended. Uh, it's staggering as a layperson. Absolutely. And the cost of those as well, not just um, personal cost to those people that are going through them, but the cost that it actually takes to process those um, cases. And also if, you know, the, the risk that they're potentially posing if... if um, practitioners are continuing to practice when they are unfit it's um it's quite worrying can i can i actually on reflection i mean it's it, i'm picking up on things here perhaps a little bit delayed catherine but you asked me about culture within the nhs i wonder if this would be of any interest to, to you and i draw from my experience in higher education who have worked tirelessly in the last five six years tirelessly to address real grave concerns about culture uh, in terms of serious misconduct, particularly sexual misconduct, actually. But do you know what the biggest shift in culture has been in that that environment? It, it's, and this is where I wonder whether whether the healthcare sector could learn. The biggest shift in culture has been away from protect the organisation, away from reputational damage, and it's towards the well-being of all the stakeholders, the well-being of in their case, customers, in your case, patients, I guess, the well-being of the staff and every element of that being. And do you know what? Once there was that paradigm sort of shift in thinking, once the shift of cult the cultural change went to, do you know what's important here is the well-being of people, then that triggered a much more healthier, healthier uh, cultural 
discussion. And that was palpable in the last 12 to 18 months where perhaps, you know, if I put my other head on in terms of the commercial businessman's head, where I might be wanting to leverage concerns and fears over reputational damage, which is what lawyers traditionally have tried to prevent. Yes. And you have that shift to one of more of well-being, nurturing, caring, then maybe that is the big change that the healthcare sector needs. So why, it's actually quite ironic, Kathleen, if you think it, about it, it where is. you've got a, right. a sector that cares for people. But doesn't, doesn't care for each other, no. You Just pick up on what you said there about that the lawyers don't want that to happen. Why? Could you explain that a bit more? Yeah, I can, but I have to draw my experience, which is not a bad thing, from across various course, sectors. Yeah. Traditionally... Uh, and for some, time, for, for some time, there has been extensive debate about the uh, inappropriate use of non-disclosure agreements, uh, compensation payouts, that type of thing. That seems to persist within healthcare. And I was talking to James earlier on today, and I said that I did some work. It was amazed to find £2 billion, £2 billion a year is paid out and claims in the NHS. Um, but there's, there's been a shift in other sectors, Catherine, a shift whereby actually NDAs were actually introduced to protect business commercial interests, not reputations, not to hide and conceal malpractice, mispractice, misconduct. And there has been a shift there. I think that shift has yet to hit healthcare and the NHS in particular. Maybe that's something, but that's my experience across other sectors. Nevermore, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit of something with you, Catherine, if I may, from the sporting arena. We did a lot of investigation around abuse of children in sport from a civil perspective. And historically, that abuse has been hidden behind NDAs. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very passionate that that's inappropriate has probably fostered more offending, damaged many, many more young people because the perpetrators, and I am using that word, the perpetrators have not been brought to justice. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that just to sum that up and explain my passion, people talk about miscarriages of justice, whether it's civil or criminal whether it's your registrants, whether it's Victor Chua, who killed, killed patients at Stepping Hill Hospital, Rebecca Layton, who didn't, mm. but got charged and had to be spent a lot of time in prison, whether it's that sort of case, it's miscarriages of justice cut both ways, Catherine. Miscarriages of justice, civilly and criminally, mean that the wrong people get convicted or found to have done wrong just as much as the people who have done wrong evade natural justice. And that's why investigation from an open-minded, non-judgmental perspective is absolutely critical. And I'm really sorry, Catherine, but lawyers and HR are not equipped. They're not independent. They are well, rarely independent, sorry, to be honest, to be more accurate. They are rarely external and they are working towards a bigger goal for the entity. So do you, do you think that the regulators have a part to play in 
examining those NDAs better because we have a number of people on our group who say after the fact that their hearings happened, well, I couldn't tell them this and I couldn't tell them that because I was under an NDA. And do you th the, the panel, certainly I've never observed the panels ask for further detail um, on what's gone on at employment level in, in a hearing in a hearing facility. You know, if a registrant said, well, I'm under an NDA, what can I say? I think I actually said it at my hearing and I just got blank looks from 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 the panel and from case presenter, etc. Um, you know, if, if you if you as a nurse have highlighted some very important things at your workplace and have um, had your exit managed, which included an NDA, shouldn't your regulator perhaps be aware of some of those those aspects? From a public health point of view. Well, in the principle, I'm not a lawyer, yeah. <laughs> OK, well, I'm not a lawyer. I think it, it, I've worked a lot with whistleblowers. I've worked a lot in that environment. From a natural justice point of view, my suspicion would be that the NDA possibly wouldn't be binding in certain cases. They have been misused and abused. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I, I can't comment on a specific case because I don't know, nor am I legally qualified to do so. But if I was chairing a panel, then I would be saying, hang on, there's an issue of natural justice here, whether it's criminal or civil. What's this NDA all about? I, I, I couldn't be making an uninformed decision, Catherine, on someone's future career or livelihood. Yeah. I, I'd want to know a lot more about I, I, Again, it's hard for me because I don't know the specifics. Sure. You'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll cut me that slack, Catherine. But on a case-by-case -case basis, if I was chairing a panel, I, I want whether it's in private, whether it's in a voir dire, whether it's in, in camera, as they call it, I'd want to know exactly the full facts mm. to make an informed decision. Now, maybe there's an issue there about panel training as well, then. I, I don't know how much panel training yet. We, we, we're training panels in education because they've realised that they were making momentous decisions that were destroying people's careers or students taking their own lives and other members of staff without any training and they didn't understand the investigation process that's so we train panels that's what we do with a barrister um i would have to say just how much training do the nmc panels get i don't know mm -hmm. i've no idea it would be interesting to find out wouldn't it lots of questions, lots of questions. yeah lots of lots questions, of questions. I, I haven't got the answers to them obviously it's not my business to I, I, I want so, to put some balance in here, Catherine. I think since you and I last spoke, I've also made inroads and sort of overtures to the staff side, because having failed to contribute naively, or naively failed, it's the better way, I, I, what I did, Catherine, was I went to the staff side, because I thought there might be an appetite from the staff side to quite properly uh, you know, improve standards from that way, and that was equally dismissed which was a great concern. So perhaps there needs to be a more um, legislative approach, which, you know, we all hope from this, the reform that might, that might happen, actually outlining, you know, what are the fundaments of an investigation? What, what are the core elements of that? Um, I'm probably naive in hoping that that might happen. <laughs>
Maybe. You know, most most employment tribunals and panels, Catherine, are undone on process. So the legal uh, there's a concept in the world of law called active defence, and active defence is 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 not about testing people's honesty, their you know, or their 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 honest beliefs in their account. Active defence by lawyers is a legitimate tactic about undermining process. I rub my hands together with glee when I look at the process of the NMC because just looking at it superficially, I could drive a coach and horses through it from a forensic investigative quality point of view. Really interesting. The coaching horses. Coaching horses. We'll keep that vision. Um, so just, just finally, if it can be ever made that simple, a nurse going forward um, with a fitness to practice mm -hmm. hearing, what questions can she ask the investigators um, to ensure that um, the case is looked at pro properly? I know it's a massive question, but what, what things can, can the registrant arm themselves with to try and ensure that the investigation nope. is done properly? It's... Okay. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to say this with a bit of a twinkle in my eye. It's a massive question with a very simple answer. If I was that registrant, I would be courteously and politely saying, please could you explain to me what qualifies you to conduct this investigation? Thank you so much. And I think we'll have to, we'll have to end that there, but I'm sure there'll be more to talk about in future. All right, so thank you so much, Ian. It's a pleasure, Catherine. Nice to see you again. Okay, so we hope you enjoy listening to us and we'll look forward to hearing your feedback soon. Bye.